Welcome to the Spiritual Boss Podcast for spiritual seekers and lurkers, the respectfully curious and the pursuers of their passion. Hosted by Melanie Dunn, Tanya Ryan, and Jen Anderson. And today I get to interview Mel. All about yoga. Nidra. So I, when I first learned about yoga Nidra, I always call it Nidra and the people who are dogmatic about uh, languaging and, and proper pronunciation would constantly correct Nidra. And uh, so for me, um, it's just stuck in my wiring. I haven't rewrote that yet. I still call it Nidra. And, um, but Nidra is the proper pronunciation. I know. I think you said that to me last year sometime and I'm like, okay, Nidra. And then I'm like, Nidra. No, Nidra. (laughs) Nidra. Every time I do it. But let's, we're going to talk about it the whole episode, which I, I think is going to be awesome. But what is it for anybody that doesn't actually know? (laughs) Yeah. I've recommended it to clients for years. I've done it like not consistently for years, but I know when it was, uh, my sister took a training in it as well, probably, oh gosh, probably six years ago. And I was like, I don't want to do yoga. I'm an anxious AF person and please don't tell me another yoga thing pose to do. And she was like, no, no, like you just lay down. <laughs> Which is like, like that would be poison for, yeah, it, it can feel like poison for an anxious person because you're forced, the body is no longer distracted. So mm-hmm. when we think about yoga nidra, people will like every, still to this day, will get, even though I'm very candid that it is a meditative technique, I'll still get like, do I need to bring props? Do I bring like, how, how athletic do I have to be? And you literally just have to know how to lay down. And that is the biggest piece of yoga nidra is the positioning. Uh, Most meditations are done seated with the spine tall and erect, but because yoga nidra puts the body into such a pure state of relaxation, one that is, very seldomly reached without this technique, you do want to be laying flat so that the body can melt. And I guess the idea would be sort of to produce the same loss of borders and boundaries of your body that a float tank would. And so that in the practice... Yeah, in the practice, it, it works through the um, somatics of the brain. So you go into the physical body and highlight that inside of the brain. And each touch point becomes deeper relaxation. So that's the the technique and um, intention behind the rotation of consciousness, which is the only thing that makes yoga nidra unique is the rotation of consciousness. And so what does that mean, rotation of consciousness? That is the, so when you hear uh, most people talk about yoga nidra, the physical benefits are at the forefront. It's like, well, you get four hours worth of sleep in 45 minutes or you heal and restore like nothing else. That's the rotation of consciousness. It's putting the body, it's actually the doorway to the subconscious because inside of the yoga nidra practice, you have five layers of self that you're working through and give or take, these can be dropped. The only thing that maintains the practice of yoga nidra is the rotation of consciousness. So if you just have the rotation of consciousness, you've still completed a yoga nidra. But if you really want to do a full practice, you have all five layers. 
And the rotation of consciousness is the doorway to the subconscious because it begins at the same point on the body every time. So it's just like being two years old, learning to put on your pants for the first time. That's a real struggle until you've done it about 600 times. And then it's just like everything else. It's like blinking your eyes. It becomes almost involuntary because the body holds the memory. And so that's how yoga nidra moves into that lower minds of the sub and unconscious is through the rotation of consciousness. It's a lot of consciousness. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I've always been um, drawn to it, period. And felt like I had somewhat of an understanding, but I feel like I can like go so much deeper into the understanding of it because I'm also drawn to it because I love talking about like limiting beliefs and subconscious mm -hmm. yeah. uh, or unconscious bias and that sort of thing. And I think that's where all of those things live too. So what would people expect from doing a session, but you don't want to do just one session, <laughs> yeah. thing, right? That's, that's what you're saying here. We yeah. need to keep rotating through the thing. So like a one-off is not a yeah. good way to go here you can you can experience profound transformation in one session would it be lasting I don't know I like I experienced pretty lasting effect after my first training weekend but I'm also a pretty devoted practitioner so I think just like with physical yoga asana the true um, practice exists within showing up and devotion there is a devotional um, piece of, of yoga nidra is if you were to use it as something to change the way that you view the world to, let's say, shift you from a blue lens to a yellow lens or from someone who always feels like the world is against them to someone who feels like the world is in support of them, you would need to be a pretty devoted practitioner and it also serves as a gauge is how, how interested and invested and intentional am I about my own work right now? Because this summer, I barely took time to do my Nidra practice. Most times I am a two-day, um, two-a-day practitioner. I'll do one in the morning and I'll do one as I go to sleep. And in the summertime, it was pretty absent. And I would say that that reflected in my self-work. And I was just talking to you right before about, I, I had said I would take the summer off. And then as soon as people started messaging me directly, it was like, oh yeah, come on in. Well, that was in direct violation of my Sankalpa, which is my heart vow. Um, that's what you work with inside of yoga nidra is right before the rotation of consciousness you have this beautiful opportunity in the alpha brain state to drop in what you desire or really call back what you remember and mine is i'm valued and i wasn't acting that way when i was letting everyone come in and um of course it looks like i'm just being nice but what i was really telling myself was that I, my commitment to myself was no longer valid, that everyone yeah. else's needs trumped that. And so that was pretty interesting to see how that came to play. And 
I know people will say, well, how do you see that? How do you know that? Like, how do you even have the ability to zoom out and see that? Is this practice is a technique that trains you to hold awareness. And I was listening to Jewel and she talks about holding awareness as like bicep curls. And, and we, in a previous episode, Tanya went heavy on the uh, workout is like, it is a workout, but it is the, the more you train yourself to hold awareness, the more you can see where you are being victimized by your own self. Like, so for me, this, this summer, and then to bring that back in, coming back to yoga nidra and a practice is equally as hard as if you stop your daily physical practice. It is, we are in natural resistance at all times because our body has a certain, it's like an upper ceiling of comfort. So I can grow, grow, grow while my consciousness is engaged and that aspect of my mind is learning. That's easy. But then the minute that I stop really learning anything and I, I wants to shift more into a habit, your old habit is going to be right there like, hey, man, <laughs> missed you. And it's right there. So it is like a steady, determined practice of self-awareness and um, intentional doing but it's a gift through this practice that you're even able to do that. Yeah. And I think that is so valid and so true with so many different, all pieces of whatever we're committing ourselves to when we're like coming back into a practice of something and Mm -hmm. there's like this wicked resistance to it. And just knowing that if we stick with it, it's funny to me because I've had like processes in the past that like stuff I've gotten into that I've done for a few weeks here or there. And then I like, I feel really good or like at most a couple of months and then it like starts to dwindle off. And then I'll be like, Oh, I'll just get back into that doing that. And then it's like, I'll do it for a day or two. And then I won't go back to it. <laughs> like, do you is think this interesting? Why, why are you resisting? <laughs> you do, you, do you think it's because you know that that same feeling is there? It's like, Ooh, this one I brushed up against. It's uncomfortable. Me changing uh-huh. is uh-huh. uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't want to be the problem. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Nobody I wants don't. to be the problem. Yeah. I don't want to to be able to fix this. Ultimately, I want to be told that this is an outside thing and that I really have no control over it and that I can be happy with. But when you tell me that "Hmm, this is a discomfort that I'm going to have to sit with, honor, acknowledge, and that's one of the things that will happen inside of this practice is it's far more than a physical practice. And I think that to just practice yoga nidra without truly understanding the technique, you are missing so much of the potential and so much of the magic that exists within the practice. Because when you learn it and you you see the layers And I'm going to tell you something too, also that will kind of knock your socks off above the layers. But when you see the layers, the the practice becomes more profound and the potential, I, I think, magnifies. Like I'm watching it with students that have taken the training and even through my own self-study, because I am my greatest teacher, is that learning that technique of yoga nidra, I unlocked beliefs about myself like 
the beliefs that are coming up, especially around being a good girl and being a good daughter and being good to your family, all of those were keeping me in a box, safe and contained away from my true essence, which is pretty wild and pretty uh, scary to that good girl in the box. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's truly a transformational thing if you allow yourself to invest in it and invest in yourself and invest in the time. It is a technique yeah. that is going to... Um, it's gonna hi Jen's dog. <laughs> it's, it's a technique and a tool that you can keep in your back pocket for any time of crisis. And I get that from my clients all the time. The messages is like, wow, I two years ago I would have been so reactive, but now I can see myself wanting to react. And of course I do still sometimes, but then the next day, I literally just got that text today. Then the next day I got a new start. I love that. There's like, so when you, well, let's just talk about what your offer is actually. Let's just get that out there. So Mel does, is that the portal? Yes. The portal is the Yoga Nidra teacher training. And I had previously only offered it as a teacher training, but it is going to be, uh, I had the call to break it up into student and teacher because not everyone wants to teach. And and I'm still looking at you and I'm still calling you out because <laughs> there is, is it that, that I don't have a desire to teach or is there, I fear my voice in there too. And yes. so in the teaching module we did in the last training, everyone who not everyone there wanted to be a teacher, but I, I think deep down there was a desire. We did practice teach and they did have to use their voice. And I feel like that is a strong, compelling move towards change is that when you do step into and own your voice and you take the seat of teacher, there's an energetic shift that happens that says, I no longer fear my voice. I no longer fear myself and my power and my gifts. But in honor of people who really desire not to teach, there is the student aspect because I still think it's so important to understand the layers. And I want to tell you this before we move on about, so in Yoga Nidra, there are five, um, in yogic philosophy, there are five koshas, which are considered bodies or subtle bodies of self. So we have our first body, which is um, the physical. I'm going to go through and say it quickly in Sanskrit, just because that's how I um, mostly have it memorized for my subconscious. <laughs> so we have Anamaya Kosha, which means your physical body. Pranamaya Kosha, which is your energetic body. Anamaya, Pranamaya, Manamaya Kosha, <laughs> which is your mental body. And um, Vijyanamaya Kosha, which is a mouthful, and that's your wisdom body. So that's like your deep unconscious, your connection to the universe. So people may think of it as the Akash, something like that. And then Anandamaya Kosha, which is the bliss body. And it's very ironic because the whole goal is to... um, release the preferences through the practice of yoga nidra to become um 
to let go of the dualistic nature of personality. So you come into this very neutral point of being. And of course they would uh, have the last reflect bliss. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I want to strive to be blissful. But in this bliss, bliss, bliss sheath, it's like nothingness. It's where you drop in to that pure point of potential where the body is just vibrating energy. And um, one of the things uh, that's the most crazy about these koshas is that if you believe in reincarnation, do you believe in reincarnation, Jen? Do you believe the soul comes back? I do. I just, I'm not uh, verbally knowledgeable about it. But I Yeah, but you feel it. like you've had many lifetimes and that your soul, okay, so yeah. you'll be with me on this ride. So out of all of those bodies, what one do you think doesn't recycle back? Hmm... I'm going to say bliss. Really? Okay. I thought you would go with physical because I was like, well, of course your yeah, physical totally. body doesn't, but <laughs> this isn't true. So you're very smart. Um, the, 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 the truth of it is, is that, um, or I guess the truth, the belief of it is, is that the mental body doesn't recycle back or doesn't come with you because that's your personality. Those are your learned behaviors. So those are the conditioning that we pull. Ah. Yeah. Crazy. But the physical body isn't just this meat sack. It has an energy and of its own, and it comes with you. That physical body, when this human body transitions, what goes into the ground is not that layer of energy. It comes with you and, and travels with your soul. Interesting. Yeah. I really attach to that for some reason. That's really wild actually to think like out of my brain yeah (laughs) and the potential to access past lives and um I should say first off I'm talking a lot about past lives or or the soul that is everlasting I don't do and I don't believe in um doing past life regression work I think that Everything that, and this is just me being bold, and I, I, I've decided that I'm just sharing opinions, not based on anything. It's just an opinion. You can take it or you can leave it. But I think that um, <laughs> I got I got lost in my opinion thing. Is that it has to be right? The Where past thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is a bit of a trigger Um, because there are many people who devote their work to this and I'm not saying it's not valid, but for me, it's not a worthy pursuit because everything that I am meant to learn in this lifetime has been presented to me in this lifetime. Everything that I need to heal from my past lifetime is being presented to me in present time. I completely agree. Again, not to take away from anybody that does that type of work uh, worthy of pursuit. Is that how you said that? I love that. Because it is, I feel like sometimes we are just digging and digging and digging in the past, digging, digging, digging. And like now we're digging in past lives, not only just the past of this. When does it end? When does it end? Like you will keep digging and digging and digging instead of just trusting. Like, I think if we're fully present in our lives, Mm. That's the word, right? It takes you out of presence. 
Yes, it, it does. takes you out of your presence. Yeah. And that's like um, the whole goal of Yoga Nidra is to become extremely present. So in the practice, you're at the very beginning, there, there's more than five pieces that happen within the practice. At the very beginning, there is this call of internalizing. So we are experiencing our reality through our five senses. That is how we experience our reality. Yeah. In the beginning, it's called internalization. We're pulling all of those senses inward towards an internal reality. So we're kind of like that float tank or the deprivation tank is pulling everything in so that I am the only point of focus. When does that happen? Especially if you're a mother being pulled in 50,000 different directions. But So you become the sole point of focus your breath, your body, your whatever's popping up for you, it trains you to hold an intense amount of awareness for a very long time. Does it heal you from all of your reactions? Not immediately, I wouldn't say, but every opportunity that a reaction presents or a trigger presents you will no longer seek to cancel that out. You will be like, I feel like it does just not, you might not look at it directly. You can sit in it. Yeah. 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 And, and experience it. So at the very beginning of the practice, when we're asking ourselves to be pulled inward, you're, and even at the end of the practice too, it's how can I experience this as a first experience instead of a program story or a memory because we experience through our five senses and then we experience through our backlog of what has already happened. So if we're living like a zombie based on what has already occurred to me, the possibility for change becomes very little, very little. Yeah. I had brought up unconscious bias a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and then I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, but essentially this is like the same thing because it is just like how we, in my opinion, how we react to something because of something that has happened in our past, something mm-hmm. that's been said, it's something not a first experience, a body yeah. memory, like all of these things. And so to be able to give the gift of being fully present. And I love how you said that of experiencing this as the first time you've experienced it and reacting or not reacting, just having the experience, however it is as the first time, every single time. And to, to notice we're so heavily saturated in preference that our whole lives are basically in a cage just trying to serve that preference. Whichever one, like, so some of us, the preference is suffering. Most of us, the preference is suffering. So we suffer for what we don't have instead of looking around our tiny little cage and saying, wow, I'm actually like feeling pretty safe here and things are good here. And I'm really enjoying it and being grateful for this space. It's like looking through the bars and being like, but look at Jen over there in her nice plaid shirt. I want that shirt. You know, like there is, um, we're always suffering. And to develop that ability to see what am I suffering for? There is just in a constant state of suffering because we're attached to an outcome. And inside of the practice, 
um, we develop the art of non-attachment or a paragraha is another one of the yogic terms for non-attachment or detachment is if I am um, in one of the layers we work with opposite sensations. So you're, and this is, um, if you ever, if you are current practitioners of yoga nidra, you would recognize in Richard Miller's trauma-informed yoga nidra, which mine is not, mine is not trauma-informed, mine is a spiritual pursuit. Um, and, and we, if you have trauma, it's probably uh, not recommended to do that acute trauma, but Richard Miller works with PTSD. He works with vets and his practice is heavily uh, focused on opposite sensations. So recalibrating the nervous system to find a neutral point between these uh, acutes and then these unreactives. So he's trying to bring the body back into a state of homeostasis. And that's the truth of, of yoga nidra is it is bringing you back to homeostasis or um, stay at home. This is this is where we are in our bodies, and it is okay to be present here. It's okay to feel these feelings that are happening, and to acknowledge what's happening, and to acknowledge that I have a preference that this is not what I want, or this is what I want. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's amazing. Okay, I have one more silly question yeah. for you. Uh, about it what happens if you fall asleep while you're doing yoga nature because I actually went to this amazing yurt this summer and this amazing facilitator named Mel (laughs) and I was like so proud of myself at the end of it that I didn't fall asleep and then one of the ladies in the room said something about something you had said and I was like oh no I did not hear that yeah I did not pick that up so maybe I did fall asleep (laughs) no that can actually be like a response to a bias too right is the brain won't log it or it's not your current teaching so you didn't hang on that's what I wondered with everything that reinforces it yeah but other pieces were meant she to needed that me. teaching yeah. yes That's yes and yeah. so you may have well been in um anandamaya kosha at that point detached from everything from the outside but still awake you were still in your body you were still having an experience but your senses were no longer so the tether to my voice had become undone and you went totally inward What happens when you do full-on sleep and some people will um, snore and still be awake hearing the whole practice, but that's how deep of a relaxation this practice can take you into. So snoring isn't always an indicator and snoring is actually in group settings, something that teachers strive to avoid where I teach them to strive to embrace. (laughs) That this, if you have a snoring student this is a practice for everyone to go into is that you have a heavy preference that I need to have absolute quiet in order for this to be my spiritual practice. Yes. And I cannot do this with that person snoring over my shoulder. What <laughs> if, what if you chose to take this opportunity to go to the very center of that noise? What is at the very center of that noise? And you just keep going deeper and deeper into that noise. And it, then it no longer becomes a person snoring. It becomes an experience. Yeah. And it's just reframing all of that stuff. So back to sleeping. If you're sleeping, you are still receiving the physical uh, effects of the practice, which are profound, lots about them 
common science, well-documented physical restoration healing effects from a sleeping student. What you do miss and what I love to teach is um, the potential of accessing a spiritual awakening through the practice, being able to see your beliefs as they arrive and then neutralizing them. I kind of like to think of it as, and this isn't, I don't know if it's true or not, but I used to do therapy with an EMDR therapist. It's a light bar and your eyes trace back and forth. And what the eyes do is activating both hemispheres of the brain and they um, deliver to you verbally this acute memory. And as your eyes are going back and forth, it's converting it into a dreamlike state. And that's what I believe happens like in Richard Miller's Opposite Sensations. His practice is so um, saturated in that is that he's actually reestablishing a new baseline for the nervous system that is out Uh, of freeze, fight, or flight. That's really powerful. It's so powerful. I want to talk about this for years. <laughs> I know. It is yeah. it is like super beautiful and amazing uh, mm-hmm. work. And it's funny because I've like always been drawn to it, but I'm like, I don't know. But <clears throat> even back to the sleep thing for a second. Yeah. When I first started just like meditating, period, mm-hmm. I would fall asleep all of the time. And then I had some meditation practitioners in my life even that would say like you can't do that like that's not meditating and if I hadn't had done that I would have never meditated like I wouldn't be able to meditate now as I am because I had healing that needed to occur and Mm -hmm. it was actually a big deal for me to be able to fall asleep in the middle of a day when I couldn't yeah we take what we need yeah and I think some people will uh, judge that almost whereas it's I think back to that dogmatic it. nature right yes. it's like this is right and that is wrong instead of this is an experience and you trained yourself at least for a moment to hold awareness on yourself yeah and that's probably why you got tired and went to sleep because you stopped thinking about everything that was happening externally and you could come into a place of whatever anxieties were bothering you before you found peace and so to me I think that's perfect that was a win yeah massive win for me in that moment but any amount of awareness because I'll challenge spiritual boss listeners today to engage with how often you actually are present today how often are you feeling your own body and not thinking about what everyone else is feeling or not thinking about what's going on how often are you actually just experiencing life for the first time and we've had we have such a memory log of experiences that we miss the subtleties we miss the magic that what we saw as babies, like you, you know how people love to be around babies because they're so joyous because they are experiencing. There is, they don't have a prediction for what's coming. They're just in the moment. What is happening? Oh my God, this is great. They're not thinking about, oh my God, the last time I was this happy, my brother died or, you know, (laughs) someone broke up with me. It's not, the happiness isn't attached to something. And so that non-attachment again. allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Without, that's really beautiful. Without attachment. When does mm-hmm. the portal open? 
Oh, it opens at the end of January, January 22nd. And so it is pretty intense. We do 8.30 to 4.30 Saturday and Sunday. Um, First weekend is, oh, this could be interesting. First weekend is limiting beliefs. That's what we focus on is what are my limiting beliefs? What do I believe about myself? What do I desire for myself? I teach you about how limiting beliefs are formed and, and how to break them. Um, well, I shouldn't say break them, how to use them as a compass and reframe your reality around them. And then the weekend, the next weekend is going into the practice. And I honestly, going into that teaching the first time, I thought, ah, but you know, like this is going to be pretty basic, but that is like just such silly thinking. (laughs) It was so (laughs) silly because this practice is rich in teachings just by its structure just by its structure it is so rich in its teachings and then if you do want to journey into using your voice and leveraging your voice and especially as a woman we need to start activating our voices and and using them in a powerful way for transformation weekend three is when we teach and we use our voices and we are witness to using our voices I think that is so powerful. Even if you don't plan to actively teach it necessarily, but I don't, I honestly can't see any negative side to learning to teach it. Just in the fact of like, I'm assuming you, you have to lead something to be able to do that. So you have to go through that process. Mm -hmm. That is so powerful. Yeah. For anyone who's afraid of their voice, I would say even just for the opportunity to speak and be witnessed, it is, it says something to our subconscious mind. It it could be um, like a declaration that I am awake. That's how it feels. A declaration. A declaration. Yeah. I am stepping into my power. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing, Mel. I'm so glad you stepped into that. Yeah. And so I I just thought of this right now is that if someone were to sign up for student and wanted to pursue teacher, I would just add that on at the end. So if I do have students already signed up, um, if they do decide to pursue teacher after the second weekend, they'll just bump up and that's, yeah. And just take the second, the the teacher. And also if yoga teachers are listening, this is uh, certified for continuing ed through Yoga Alliance. So you get 50 hours of continuing ed if you take the teacher. Schmancy. Yes, very. That's lovely. Okay, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Even like the smallest sliver of that. I know there's like so much that you could talk about. Thanks for being interested enough to let me talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> we could do a part two to this. Yeah. Maybe we will in December right before you get it going. Oh, wow. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, guys, for joining us on this episode of the Spiritual Boss Podcast. We so appreciate you listening. Please click the subscribe button. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and leave us a positive review so that more people can find us. We welcome all input, feedback, comments, Uh, You can email us at spiritualbosspodcast at gmail.com. We've actually got a few emails lately. It's been kind of a big deal. Thanks, guys. (laughs) And we're on Instagram at the Spiritual Boss Podcast. Peace in, peace out.